and welcome to Down to Earth Convos Down Under, Episode 4. Today, Ali and I are talking about finding your why, specifically in the financial context of debt slavery versus saving, investing, and freedom. Hey, Brad, how are you over there in Perth, WA, West I'm Australia? doing fantastic. Thanks, Ali. It's a great day here, as it so often is over in WA here. So I'm wondering, how are you going over on the Sunshine Coast, Ali? Sunshine Coast is awesome as always. It is my home. I absolutely love so much about the Sunshine Coast. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the Sunshine Coast and Perth in our discussion today as we lead into a conversation about property, property prices, FOMO, fear of missing out. Is that correct, Brad? That is correct. And the first thing I wanted to start with was... So in our last episode, we talked a bit or a lot about the value of earning a dollar. And so I wanted to touch on today to start off. What's the reasoning? What's the why behind it all? Why get a job? Why focus on building our skills? Why do we need to earn our money rather than accept it from the government for free? What are the initial things that come to mind for you on that topic, Ali? Absolutely. Great question. The why. When you understand the why, the hows look after themselves. It's 80% why, 20% how. It is so important. I have shared this with parents, my clients, when their teenagers don't have a reason why to go out and get a job, for example, if we're talking about our youth, that's possibly because they don't have a reason why to earn money in the first place. So if they're getting it given to them by an allowance, which really my, one of my strategies were, I never gave my kids an allowance unless they earned it. Because as we spoke in our previous episode, Brad, the best way to value money is to earn it. So the re, we need a reason why. So if we're gonna expand that out to a, a bigger vision, So for example, if we're talking the property market here in Australia, we are conditioned here in Australia. It is part of our culture. We are conditioned to go into debt to buy our own home. And that is a very big decision. That's a milestone for anyone purchasing their first property, whether they're a first home buyer or an investment property, property investor. So getting back to a reason why, there needs to be number one principle is we earn and save and earn the right to invest. So if we're talking the property market, I feel it is most important that whoever is purchasing a property has done that. They've earned, they've saved and earned the right to invest. The problem that I have at the moment, Brad, is with the government's incentives for first home buyers to buy their first home and waive stamp duty, which is what other homeowners and investment owners and developers from our history have had to pay and that's a taxation that keeps the run the country going that's waived fair enough i know there's going to be some viewers going well why not the other one is like that the the deposit their first home buyer's deposit is being gifted to them by the australian government when that breaches all the the fundamentals about earning saving and earning the right to invest. And what I, what I get upset with on this particular topic, which I get quite, like you might notice, I actually get a little bit riled on this one, is for me, I'm a parent of three and they're young adults. 
I would not want my young millennial, my, my child, to go into debt, which is a in the form of a home loan, to buy a principal place of residence that they actually pay in after-tax dollars. They pay their interest in after-tax dollars. They don't claim their home, home insurance or rates or repairs and maintenance. That is what the Australian government, that's what we're conditioned to do, is to buy our own home, live in it, go into a, a whole lot of debt and then work for the man. That's not how I've done it and that's not how my own children have done it. And one of my three children did actually purchase his first investment property at age 18. That's because they've had the privilege of working, earning their income in a family business and when you earn and don't spend, that, that, that savings was just there. And there were times gone by that we will not probably see, maybe not again, my kids were known to have earned seven, six and 7% interest for the Commonwealth Bank of Australia when I saw it on a gigantic sign. So my kids actually earn money on their savings while they're at school. Mm. That, those days are now gone. The reason why the property market, I believe, is heading towards the sky, uh, the moon, but I believe it's going to come back, is because they're printing trillions of dollars globally and that's got to go somewhere. So it's pouring into the property market, the stock market, the bonds market and the bullion market. And it's going to be a consequence. There's going to be a cost to this. So this FOMO fear of missing out is people think, or I believe that it's a belief here in Australia that people in Australia think that property only goes one way, this way. But it's not going to be true. And I just ask one question for our listeners today. Do you think the world is looking certain or uncertain? For me, for someone to go into debt right now during these times with FOMO, fear of missing out, and Warren Buffett is someone I've studied for years. Warren Buffett tells us, you will never manage money until you manage your emotions. So we do not want to act out of fear, fear of missing out, that the property market's going up and go into debt in these uncertain times. Even if the money is given to us for the deposit for our first home, it will be, it, it'll be balanced up by taking it away somewhere else. You'll either be paying higher prices or it'll come back and bite you in the bum if unfortunately the case happens where a young millennial family buy the first home, get married, have a little baby, and one of them, God bless them, may lose their job due to what's going on in the world. I don't even want to say the name because I am an optimist. I'm a realist. There's always a balance. So I just want to um, warn my list, our listeners today that please step back and do the sums and step out of that emotion of fear when you make your financial decisions because these decisions are so important and, it's very, and, it, and it could be costly. Financially, it could make you or break you. And this is another thing that I've learned um, over my journey. And I, uh, I just want to let people know that I bought my first, first property when I was 22 years old while I was still at university studying accounting, accounting on a commerce degree. But I bought that with my boyfriend at the time. He's now my husband. So I believe that we're coming into a time now, Brad, that there will be, I mean, you've, it's not unknown that people are talking about reset. What does a reset even mean? A correction? What does correction mean? In Australia, we haven't had a past in 28 years. I can't believe since 2008 that the property, nothing was fixed. We just went further and further into debt. 
And how I want to explain this to our listeners is if you had a baby's pool, I love this analogy I learned from Jim Rickards that I've been studying for years. Jim used to say that if you got a baby swimming pool, those rubber swimming pools, and it's sitting on the grass in the Aussie backyard, right? And you fill it with water. When the pool is full, it will spill out and go into the grass. This is what's happening as worldwide, globally, they're digitally printing trillions of dollars. The dollars are going somewhere. The pool is overflowing and it's falling into the world economies, into the property market. This is not sustainable because there will be a cost. And I just wanna make people very aware of that. Over the last six years, I have been selling properties that I've accumulated with my husband over six, five properties over the last six years to pay down debt, to consolidate. I don't believe personally, and this is not financial advice. This is just through the study and my experience of being around, you know, I'm privileged to be here as in my fifties now that we will have a choice. And I think that if you play your cards right, live within your means, my mum taught me, live within your means, with, live in, beneath your means and within your needs. This is the time now that goes against supporting businesses, of course, if we're not whining and dining and buying clothes and spending money. That's the, that's the cost. But I believe the smart people are accumulating because we're going well here in Australia. We're, our businesses are open. We are earning money. People are spending. And for me, I believe it's a time to, for not let to not let money and rising property prices go to our head, not for me. I'm a realist. I'm going to be taking it in, stepping back, looking and finding out what's really going on. And what's really going on is I would not want my young millennials to go into debt in uncertain times when they possibly have just got married, raising a family or whatever. I know I spoke a long time there, Brad. What would you like yeah, to That was a hell of an answer. But my, my thinking is, when the last thing you said there, you don't want people going into debt, but money's so cheap, Ali. It's so cheap to borrow. Why is that? Uh, why is now not a great time? It's so affordable to um, to skip the twenty percent deposit to get lenders mortgage insurance and to pay a small deposit and to to get your own house uh, with low repayments. What's the um, what's the problem and the trap? within that great question and for a start one of my things they used to say cash is king i don't particularly think cash is king anymore no debt is king mm. i believe in this environment we're coming into and it's people probably don't even know who we are because we've only just decided to put it out there and to share this and there are a lot of people sharing it so for a start my principle that when interest rates are low and dropping that is a, an absolute clear indicator, Brad, that things are not looking pretty. The economy is not looking strong. So if people knew that, that money's cheap, money will almost become free and it's going to cost us to actually have savings in the bank when we go into negative territory as they are in overseas countries. Australia's just lagging a little bit behind. And there's something that I studied back in the 2008 G GFC one, Global Financial Crisis number one. And that was when America, when the US sneezed, Australia caught a cold. Mm. <laughs> I just, you know, I am conservative in nature and that's, that's a pretty much a trait of an accountant. We dot I's, we cross T's. We look at a scenario that what could happen. Just imagine if you did lose your job. And I know this does sound pessimistic, 
but let me balance up by giving something that's optimistic. Imagine working and earning as much money as you can while things are going great here in Australia. So you earn, 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 learn new schools, raise self-worth, raise the skilled workforce in Australia. That's what's needed. Then we save. Once we work, we earn money, we save and, and earn the right to invest. What do we invest in? Maybe let's just step back and watch what could possibly happen in an environment when they're printing trillions of dollars, which they are. Not, and a reminder to everyone that this is not financial advice. So if the US dollar drops, which is the reserve currency, what does other hard assets do? Like gold and silver, and gold's been around for 5,000 years. So I would just love to plant the seed in teachers' minds, because what we're all about, Brad, is teaching lessons that don't teach in school. What about the history of money? How good would it be to actually teach kids today about money? And when they come home from school, they're talking to the parents, you wouldn't believe it, mum. I've just learnt that gold is the king's money. I didn't even think about gold. I'll tell you now, gold was never spoken about when I was at school, not in my own home and not at school. These are exciting subjects to talk about. Finance, I want to plant the seed with all our listeners and all our viewers that money is a subject that is exciting because having money, financial independence, brings about opportunities, better health, education. It relieves financial struggle because I'll tell you one beautiful thing we've been blessed with is the right to sleep at night. And if you don't sleep at night because you're financially stressed out because you've got a debt hanging over your head, it robs you of the right to live in the now. And that's my argument, that why not just set yourself up and, and learn about money and learn and earn new skills, doing what it is that you love and enjoy, or if you don't know what that is, just try new things. And what you don't like, that's fine. Get rid of that and, do, and refocus and move forward on something else. But I'd love our kids to come home from school inspired by teaching lessons that they don't learn in schools. That's going to hold them in good stead for their future. Our future will be based on our future generations, Brad. And it's about time all of us woke up to that about feeding our youth, our future generations, things that are going to move them forward and our country here in Australia move them forward and, and goes for the rest of the world. So, I mean, that's another long answer. <laughs> it is. And a lot needs to change on that front of how we approach learning and education. And that's a rabbit hole that I could go down, but I won't. But I do want to bring it back to myself a little bit because, you know, I want a property. That's my reason why. So we're talking about our reasons why. And a big one for me yeah. is the dream of having several acres, uh, not too far away from the city, but, you know, far enough away that I don't have to deal with any of the nonsense that goes with being too close to a city. And my question to you, Ali, is, well, I want to buy a house. Do I have to sit around and not passively, but you know, work and save and earn the right to invest as you say, but do I just have to sit around and wait for things to uh, come back down to earth? Or is there some other way that I can think about it? Well, that's a good question. And I would love to, the first thing that came to mind would be financial patience, which is another trait of the financially successful mm. is patience. Patience is seriously a virtue. And one of the things that we here in Australia and globally, and I'm not bagging millennials, a lot of us are guilty of it. I'm living in the same culture. We are living, living in a consumer orientated driven world. We live in the now and what we want, we download that movie, we order takeaway, Uber Eats, whatever it is. We 
have got this immediate instant gratification thing. So for me, it comes up as for research, financial education, you need to know what's going on in the economy, but not, not just here in Australia. We live in a little bubble. Now, those if research shows that Australia are in one of the second highest housing bubbles in the world. The bigger the bubble, the bigger the burst. Mm. So I guess my principles are things that I'm starting to really fear is if people are buying in a high, and remember you make your money when you buy in, did I, did I actually specifically say that before? I believe as an investor, you make your money on the buy in. So if I'm buying in a relatively high, and I don't know because I don't have a crystal ball, it could go up another 20% in the next 18 months, two years, 2025, some people are saying. And that will depend on how many trillions of dollars are getting printed. So I'm not saying, no, it won't. I'm saying, yeah, there's a damn good chance it will as they print, continually print money. I'm just thinking, do you want to sit back? There is a problem here that rents are going up and rents are getting hard to get as well. But for an investor, if you're buying your first home, you'd want to know that your income coming in is very secure. I don't know how secure that income is. I've been a business owner for more than 30 years. I don't know whether my gates might be closed next year. I don't want to be the pessimist. I'm the realist. I'm optimistic and I'm pessimistic and it brings me into balance. I want to see both sides of the equation. Because if I'm borrowing a, shit, a lot of money, excuse the French, if I'm borrowing a lot of money and I'm hanging you know, a lot of debt on my head, I want to make sure I can ride out any low. And I've been around long enough, you know, buying the first, my first investment property 30 years ago at the age of 22, I have seen some highs and lows. And all I would like to say to people and yourself, Brad, with that question is you want to be in a position where you've got a significant deposit you want to be able to manage debt, debt to serviceability ratio, which is what the banks look at. You want to know that income's coming in and that you, this is the position that I'm in, that I'll be able to meet my mortgage regardless of what happens. If my tenant moves out, I want to know that I'm safe. I've got enough equity built in to that equation. Again, I'm lucky, not lucky because it's work. I've chosen this. It's uh, luck, luck has, you know, it's manifesting, creating, working hard, making financial decisions, educating yourself, looking at both scenarios. These are, the, these are the answers that I'm throwing at you. And the number one is having patience, financial patience. Financial patience will be a virtue and you'll be rewarded for later. Because for those, my understanding is the debt is very high. We have the highest housing debt in the world. That's a little bit scary for Australians because they don't understand those financial principles about debt to serviceability. You throw one spanner in the works, as in increased interest rates, someone unfortunately sadly loses their job. What's happened in Melbourne, that becomes financial, financial stress on a family. And my mission is to help families so that they don't need to go into financial hardship and stress, which I have been, um, which is what, so happens to pull on my heartstrings, Brad. So this is why, you know, I'm doing the channel and, and writing these programs with you at the moment. Have I answered that question? <laughs> you have answered that question. And I think it comes back to a lot of what you said about the, um, the instant gratification, this long-term versus short-term thinking. People, I think, don't even realise the extent to which our living standards are overinflated and overextended because of the amount of debt that people have on their cars and their homes and the things that they own that they're paying off over time that are costing them more 
Um, but they want it now, right? They don't have the uh, wherewithal to sit and wait and save up and like you say, earn the right to invest or to purchase uh, consumer products. Because at the end of the day, if you're getting everything on debt, you don't actually own it until you've paid that off. And you're going to be paying more for what you're getting than if you just saved and got it later. I think there's a lot that's gone wrong in the minds of people who are overloading themselves with debt that is just crippling them, just totally kneecapping them in a way that it just doesn't need to be like that. People don't need to live so far beyond their means to such extreme extents. It's, it's really mind boggling to think about. And it makes people who don't do that think, you know, my quality of life isn't so great because I don't have all these nice things, but that's not true. You're not over, you're not burdened with the debt. So you're actually ahead of these people who have from the outside perspective, all of this wealth and materialism and all this great stuff, but, they've got all the debt and that's going to stick with them for a very long time. What do you think? Oh, well, you touched on a few things. Firstly, the, the great book that I've read that I actually see a lot of myself in is the millionaire next door. Those who look like millionaires aren't. Mm. And those that aren't millionaires. The, the, so it's like those who look like millionaires aren't millionaires. And those who don't look like millionaires are because financially savvy people don't need to impress people. So we, in, we, we invest in assets that earn a return that will increase in value over time. So if you saw the car I'm driving right now, you'd be blown out. And I would remind you, Warren Buffett, he just keeps coming down to me, doesn't he, in, in my conversations. But Warren Buffett lives in the same house from the 1960s. He doesn't need to prove anything to the world. And I'm not saying... Um, that people need to prove themselves. I, I really understand that people like to feel good and drive a nice car and wear beautiful clothes and jewellery, and that's that's fantastic, and I do too. And and I think that uh, it's getting back to that living within, beneath your means. You don't want to spend more than you're earning on con- consumerism, like just stuff that's not going to actually help you in the future. Now, Wearing a nice suit and nice clothes might help you get a job and earn income. So there's, there's an argument around that. So that's the thing. It's you know, like, what, why do I need it? Why am I getting it? We're emotional beings. We act on emotion, 80% emotion when we purchase things. So I guess, you know, one of my tips has always been, it's just innately in me, is to step back and stop and wait, which is delaying instant gratification. And nine times out of 10, it's like, what's them thinking? I don't need this crap anyway. And therefore I've got more of this to invest in things that will help me in my future. Because as people purchase things in the now, they're robbing their future self. You touched on that. So uh, there's a great book that me and Ed next, next door. It's lovely. It's storytelling. And I'd, I'd really think that that's an easy read for people to get a few of the principles that I'm trying to share with you today. Yeah, that brings up a few things. The first was on the Uh, humble way of living of the financially successful. And that reminded me, uh, my previous job, we were running an in-person event and she came up to the desk, this uh, multi, multi millionaire um, that was attending. And, you know, we had it in our email that uh, if you want to get your parking fee back, you can come up to the desk and they'll give you a, uh, the way to get that returned. And that would be, absolute drop in the ocean to her and she came up very um 
humbly and asked for the uh, code to get that back. And I just thought, you know, this is, this is why she's got so much money because she's That's not what? changed her attitude from when she was probably 18 and she's doing the right thing on that front by not just saying, Oh, well, it's only $30. It's fine. It, it's not fine. It's uh, doing, it's not costing her anything to do that, to walk up, to take 10 seconds to say, can you give me the thing and get the thing done, sorted $30 saved. And you do that here and there. And suddenly you've got a lot of money saved. That's right. You save tens of dollars, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars by negotiating about, you know, how to buy a fridge. Some people don't even, I saw the car just recently and the guy was so disappointed because he did have the cash to buy it, that it made business sense for him to take a small loan out. He didn't question how much is it, how much was it going to cost him to get the finance? He was spewing. He was so upset with himself because it cost him $1,500 just for an application wow. to purchase the car to the value of 16,000, which was just a one year old uh, crappy ute that we didn't need. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what, do, I, do you know what I said to him, Brad? And he was only a young guy with his own business. Uh, he, and he thanked me for this. I said, you know what? Why don't you just put that down to a $1,500 lesson they didn't teach you in school? Mm. Literally answer me, thanks for that, Ali, because I actually introduced myself and the, the, the proposal, the finance application went on for more than a week. It was just unbelievable. Wow. It was a private sale. But that's, look, there was another thing. I love that story you just shared with the, the, the very wealthy lady that went upstairs to save that money on the parking ticket, Brad. I remember there's one of my landscapers, he comes into the nursery, he works for Sea Haven, which is this beautiful resort right on Noosa Main Beach in Noosa Heads. The owner picked this up, this property, for a song back in the GFC. This guy is, a look, I don't want to misquote because it is a story that I um, don't know names and what have you. He's multi-millionaire. He doesn't fly first class mm. his landscaper comes in to collect the stock at our nursery because he doesn't want to pay the 88 dollar delivery fee and my son sam who works with me he tells me and shares his story and i said see sam look at that the millionaires are the ones that actually don't look like millionaires they are savvy in all areas of their life and that's where they are. And it just year after year, they get stronger and stronger. And it's like, they sound so down to earth and grounded. And I'm not saying other people aren't grounded and down to earth, but you know, we're having these down to earth combos and that just came up for us today. So uh, yeah, I think <laughs> that audience to get something out of it. Yeah. And I think the other side of that coin is important too. Maybe, uh, his time is so valuable that $88 is not worth it to go and pick it up. So it depends what he's doing with that time and depends on what his focus is. And, you know, clearly in action, it's demonstrated that that is worthwhile, but you can make a lot of money and that cannot be worthwhile to go and pick it up. It can be more economically, uh, make more sense to pay the delivery fee as well. Just depends yeah. on a lot of different factors. And maybe he gets a bit of value about having uh a bit of banter and a chat with you and the team at ePlants. So there's so many well, he sent the landscaper out. Yeah. He sent the landscaper out. So he's obviously paying that landscaper mm. less than $88 per hour. Yeah. So he sees himself 
ahead because he's got to pay he plants 88 dollars or his landscaper what 40 dollars an hour Mm. so everything adds up to him and it's just a great example so yeah cool yeah and one more story yeah um it can also be on thinking about what you really want before you make an impulsive purchasing decision too because you know thinking about cars you can say you've saved it up we're not talking about loans so you've saved up 20 or 25 grand and you want a car you can get a average crappy even new toyota for that price or you can get a five-year-old bmw that looks really nice luxury model for that price now i'm not saying one is better than the other but i think if a lot of people thought about that more the probably be more people going towards the BMW, even with the higher servicing costs and whatnot, than if they just uh, didn't even think about it because they think, oh, BMWs, they're going to be really expensive. It's not the case at all, at least not here, when, you know, I would say more than 50% of cars in my area are either BMW, Audi, Mercedes, or Porsche. They're just there's a flood of them so if you're in an area where there is a lot or there's an area that close by that's you know extremely affluent and has that opportunity maybe if you just thought a little bit more about what you really want then you can have that great living in affluent area is terrific and i know very wealthy people and they update they upgrade their car every two to five years mm. Or, you know, I, I just learned years ago when I was in my early 20s raising small children. So every every dollar counted. But my dad was a panel beater and I used to watch my dad, you know, bog cars and sell them. I don't want to, no disrespect for my beautiful dad, but it, that was just the industry. So there's one thing that I particularly like. I like to buy new cars because I like to know the history. And that really does go against the principles because the car depreciates greatly the the most in the first two years. So ideally with my studies back when I was in my early twenties was the best time to buy a car was when it was two under five years old. Mm. It depreciated the most and you're still getting a relatively new car with warranty and not too much wear and tear. So I'm all for that. And especially with youth, I love them to drive around in a safe car. So it's very important to my family. Safety comes first and with car loans, so it's getting back to that earn the right to so earn, save, invest. Even car loan is just that little baby step where someone can get a small loan out, not ridiculous money, not a 40,000 brand new util, for example, because uh, a BMW is way more than that. Mm. But yeah, go with uh, within your means, exactly, like beneath your means. So don't go over the top. Get a small loan out. Get used to regularly paying off. Build up a cre- your credit score, which is basically to build your credit score is actually going into debt and paying it off to nothing. And then that builds your credit score. It's not just having loans and not actually paying them down with my experience. So I've shared in my um, books that I haven't launched because I have to rewrite them because of uh, my financial study, but that's another story. I I say to um, people that you have, your name is your most important asset. You know, there's a saying, who who says it? It's like the tree is where the the tree is the asset and it's like the shadow is the reputation. It's like your name is going to hold you in good stead for your future. So if you borrow money, you pay it back. You do the right thing. You make a a legal, honest income. Do the right thing to yourself and others, that sort of thing. So I'm very into, you know, having a good name 
and that is you know going to hold you in good stead you've got to look after your name yeah very good i think my key takeaway from this session would have to be earn save and earn the right to invest and also a uh, point i'm not sure who said it originally but um if you want to improve your monetary standard and maintain that over the long time three simple rules same car same house same spouse i think that is absolutely golden because um any one of those can be financially ruinous if it's uh not thought about in the right way and uh yeah thinking long term those yes, things can cause a lot of issues updating your car even up people who update their phone every two years i just can't understand that at all that's just me ali what are your key takeaways yeah you brought up so many love great questions that you've asked me today brad and we're sharing hopefully some helpful tips and hints and stories that will help others see through that well, I guess delaying instant gratification being a trait of the financially successful, financial patience is a virtue. So let's not be sucked in by FOMO, fear of missing out, thinking that the property market here in Australia, which is how we started the conversation, that it only goes one way. Because if you look at the uncertain world that we're living in, there'll be opportunities for those who set themselves up. So earn, save and earn the right to invest. Let's do that and be financial patient. And then you will be holding yourself in good stead for the future ahead, I believe. Perfect. That's very well said, Ali. Well, thank you. And thanks to everyone who listened. Hope you learned something new and interesting and got a different way of thinking about things when it comes to money, finance, and yeah, making important life-altering decisions. See you again next time. Bye for now. Bye for now. Thanks, Brad. <laughs>